Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, Crosspoint. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Chris. Uh, I'm a friend of Crosspoint and a pastor over at Beulah Lions Church. Um, and it's good to be with you this morning as uh, we continue the series of Philippians. Been, you guys have been doing a deep dive into Philippians. And um, it's a good letter, but it's a challenging letter. And so I, I'm excited this morning to continue where Micah left off last week. If this is your kind of first week in the series or you're, you're new, you're like, hey, what is Philippians about? Let me just give you a quick debrief of what's going to happen so far. Um, Philippians is a letter from Paul uh, to the church in Philippi, a church that he planted about 10 years previous to writing this letter, uh, written about 62 AD. Um, There's a theme of Paul encouraging the Philippians to live as citizens of heaven, um, growing in their commitment to serve God and to serve one another, um, with Jesus being the supreme example of what that looks like. And there's this theme of joy throughout the, the entire letter, which is kind of ironic because Paul's writing it from jail. Um, and Paul writes to the Philippians um, with several purposes in mind. Um, the first thing is to tell them that Epaphroditus had recovered from a serious illness. That was number one. Number two, to encourage them in their faith. Three, to assure them that he was still in good spirits. Four, to thank them for their continued support. And there's a real personal nature to this letter. Um, He is writing to his friends. He's writing to people who he planted a church with, people that he knows dearly and who he loves dearly. It's a real personal nature to this letter. Uh, And last week, Micah was preaching and he, and he uh, he finished with a question of how shall we spend our lives? And what does a worthy life look like? And he said three points, sharing the gospel, elevating others, and spent in surrender. And so today we're going to be continuing on in uh, Philippians 2, uh, 12 to 18. Um, and we're going to be looking at this uh, passage with a famous little phrase that Paul writes about, um, which is a phrase that sometimes can get us a little bit in the gut. And it's about not grumbling and not arguing. Um, and so they thought, let's get the Scottish guy back to talk about grumbling. Um, so it's good to be here this morning. And, and I titled today's talk, The Humble Grumbler. Um, partly because I just thought it'd be funny and ironic. And then as I was actually thinking a bit, a bit more, I was like, do you know what? This is sometimes an, an approach or a way that I sometimes live my life. In one hand, I want to be humble and follow Jesus. And in the other hand, I just whine a lot. <laughs> and I wonder if that's not just me in the room. Um, quick story about being a whiner. Um, Um, uh, I, uh, I love going out for food and I love going out to new, new restaurants and new places. Um, but when I go out to a restaurant and I order food, I I typically expect it to be what I have ordered. Um, and so if the meal comes to the table and it doesn't look like what I ordered or it is different or it is cold or whatever it is, uh, I have no hesitations with just pulling the waitress over, the waiter over and say, excuse me, uh, this is not what I made or this is not what I ordered for you to make. Um, can you please uh, fix it? Um, it's maybe something in my British nature, just to say, excuse me, that's not exactly how it is. My wife, on the other hand, um, she's very Canadian. So, so when, when we go out for food and, and she's vegetarian and she may order a vegetarian burger and they could bring her a full meat burger and she'd be like, it, it's fine, I'll just eat it anyway, it's what they brought me. 
Two very different types of people. Um, but as this morning, as we talk about grumbling, as we talk about arguing, as we talk about whining, um, know that this uh, message convicted me first <laughs> as I was preparing it. Um, and I think it's got a lot uh, to say to us. And if you and I were honest, we would probably um, all have to admit that there's a great deal of the whiner in all of us. And I think that in one way or another, we've found some ways to justify our griping or our complaining. We've sort of uh, sanctified it and made it sound spiritual sometimes. But what we'll find in our text is that grumbling is a sin. And it's a serious sin. If there isn't any sin that isn't serious. But it's a serious sin. And one that often occurs when times get tough. And we will find that Paul gives us some very clear instructions regarding whining. And actually the cure for it too. Uh, so we're going to dive straight into Philippians 2, 12 to 18. And I'm where Rob encouraged you to bring your analog Bibles for this series. Um, I'm also going to be reading from my screen too. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, there's one at the back of the room you can also grab too. Um, so let's just pray before we jump in. Uh, Jesus, thank you for uh, the word. Thank you that it brings life. Thank you that it is truth. Uh, and God would this morning you speak to us clearly through it. Amen. So I'm just going to read this, this is what's going to happen this morning. I'm going to read the passage, we're going to read straight through it, and then we're just going to pull out some key stuff that the text says to us um, as, we, as we dive in on Philippians 2, 12 to 18. So let me read this for us together. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. So let's start at verse 12. Start's a good place to start. So we're going to start there. Um, and it starts with this word, therefore. Now, if you ever went to school, uh, therefore is there for a reason. Um, and so, uh, why is the therefore word therefore? It's reflecting back to what Micah was preaching on last week about Jesus and Jesus being that example. So, it, in, in the start of this whole section, Paul is just saying, hey, remember Jesus is the example. This is where we're going from here, okay? So, therefore is there for a reason. And he starts with, uh, my dear friends. Okay, I've already mentioned this, that it's people he loves, that he knows, that he started a church with. Um, he loves them very dearly. So he's like, my dear friends, I'm writing to you personally, and I love you, and I care for you. And we get to this phrase um, where Paul says in verse 12, work out your salvation. And we may ask ourselves, uh, work out our salvation? Is this not the same Paul who said in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, for it is by grace you have been saved? through faith and not from yourselves it is the gift of God but currently he's now saying work out your salvation like what is that about see Paul is not talking here about initial salvation he's talking about a person who's become a Christian and now is going on in the Christian life he's talking about salvation in the sense of living the Christian life and there are three aspects of salvation that the Bible talks about 
Uh, there's a 19th century English scholar called Bishop B.F. Westcott. Sounds English. He was the Regis Professor of Divinity at Cambridge University. Uh, and on one occasion, he was approached by a zealous undergraduate student from Vanguard. And the student said this, are you saved? Ah, said the bishop, a very, very good question. But tell me, do you mean, and then he mentioned the three passive participles of the Greek verb to save, indicating that his answer would depend on which of the three the student had in mind. I know I have been saved, he said. I believe I am being saved. And I hope by the grace of God that I shall be saved. Salvation is a huge and a comprehensive word. It means freedom. And as the bishop pointed out, there are three tenses of salvation. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. We are being set free from the power of sin. And we will be set free from the presence of sin. So Paul here in this context is talking to anyone who has put their trust in Jesus, who has been set free from the penalty of sin and who's currently being set free from the power of sin, working out our salvation, working out what it looks like to be saved. And then he says this, and I want you to do it with fear and trembling. And sometimes we read that and go, I don't like that part. Fear, fear and trembling. He's not saying do it with like knock need and you're just scared. He's actually saying here, I want you to do it out of a healthy respect for the holiness of God. I want you to work out what it looks like being saved from a healthy respect of the holiness of God. Always having a reverence and remembering that God is almighty. Living in a way that takes away arrogance and causes us to be aware of our pride. So why is this important? Why is Paul saying, okay, therefore... Remember Jesus. Now, now we're working out our salvation with fear. Why is this important? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul is very clear. Paul is very clear. As we work out our salvation, or as Bishop Westcott would say, as we are being set free from the power of sin, it is for good purpose. You may be reading this verse and going, aha, Chris. But you say, and Paul says here, it is for God's good purpose. That may mean it's not for my good purpose. See, and I don't know what season of life you're in at the moment. It may be a season that's, that's decent, that's good, that you're like, things are going really well. Maybe a season of the mundane, things are just kind of ticking over. Maybe a season actually where things are hard and things are difficult. And often in those hard places, it's hard to go, God's purposes are good and I believe it. And I want you to hear this. When God works in you to will and to act so that his good purposes are fulfilled, it will also be good purposes for you too. Paul in his letter to the Romans reminds us, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And sometimes it's really hard to see good purposes in bad positions. Canadian writer and spiritual influencer Justin Bieber once said, God is good in the midst of the evil and he loves you and he's here for you. I think so often in my life and, and maybe for some of us here that when we don't feel the good intentions and the good purposes of God, we start to doubt that of which Reverend Bieber said. We doubt that he's good and we doubt that he loves us. And honestly, I've been there and for every moment I've been there, it's not because God has abandoned me. 
It's often because God is actually working really hard on me. And if you're going through a season that feels difficult, ask God, what is the reason for this season? I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And, and you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. He does not seem to make any sense. What earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. God's good purposes are good purposes for us too. And, and these bits, uh, this first few verses were like, okay, okay, I, I'm okay with that. Okay, I'll work at my salvation. I'll, I'll give God reverence and, and he, there's good things coming. I like good things, so I'm, I'm good with that. And then Paul hits us here right in the middle of this little section and says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. <sighs> okay. Mm. He does not say uh, do some things without grumbling or arguing. He, he does not say, do everything without grumbling or arguing, except when, and then fill in the blank of the thing you like to grumble about. He actually says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. See, the one man who probably had the right to grumble was Paul. He, he's currently sat in a jail cell. He, he's probably cold. He's probably hungry. He's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been hated on, he's been tried to be killed multiple times, and he's now sitting in a jail cell, unable to see his friends, and so all he can do is write a letter to them. Like, if there's any person who has the right to grumble, it's Paul. But what does he say? Don't grumble. Don't argue. And the thing about grumbling is this. Grumbling's contagious. See, you never grumble to somebody in the hope that they say, would you stop grumbling? No, no, no. You grumble to somebody in the hope that they grumble along with you. You would not believe what happened. I cannot believe she said that. Do you know what they did? See, we grumble to hope that people grumble with us. And see, when we speak of grumbling, we're, we're not talking about rebuke or, or admonition or correction. We're talking about the absence of joy, which leads to discontent that is inappropriately expressed. There is no excuse for grumpy Christians. There's no excuse for grumpy Christians. And just because sometimes it feels like there's a lot of them, doesn't make it right. Arguing, on the other hand, arguing is the, the result of rebellious grumbling. They, they kind of come as a team. Grumbling builds the camp and then arguing sets that camp in motion. But Paul is very clear. It is not okay. It is sinful. And I think the attitude or the actions of, of grumbling, argumentative believers often root itself in the same place. I believe they're inappropriate responses to suffering. Grumbling and arguing are inappropriate responses to suffering. 
When we hurt, we can often hurt others. When we suffer, we can often grumble or argue. But what Paul says here is, why are you grumbling? Do you not see that God has good purposes? Like he has good purposes for your life. It's like getting tickets for every Oilers playoff game this year. And that's a prophetic word, by the way. And you just grumble about it. Oilers like, oh, 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 I don't want that. Like, God has good purposes and intentions in and through your life. And we just go, oh. God is saying here, don't grumble, but trust me. So then what is the right response? What is the appropriate response to suffering? Think about it for a minute. Grumbling and arguing are really the fruit of a lack of humility. Those who grumble and argue are often the ones who put their own interests ahead of everyone else and everything else. It's arrogant and wrongly supposing that they're entitled to God's blessings and so they protest when suffering comes their way. Whereas humility causes us to realize that there are many things more important than our personal comfort. And so humility is the basis for submission and obedience to Jesus. But more than that, it's the basis for joyful obedience to Jesus, even in the face of suffering. See, I, I titled this talk, The Humble Grumbler. And here's the irony. You can only be one of the two. You can only be one of the two. You can choose to be humble or you can choose to grumble. And the Bible actually tells us that the way of Jesus is only one way. You choose to be humble or you choose to grumble. And so why is it so important? Why is Paul, why is, why is he making a deal of this? Like, why is this an important thing? Well, he tells us in verse 15 and 16, look at your Bibles, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul makes it obvious he says, you can be pure, you can be blameless, without fault and without being corrupted. And those around you will notice. You will shine. We, we live in a city that's full of streetlights. Uh, and so often or not, we, we don't really see the night sky that well. Um, but if you ever get out to the countryside, or like a farm, or a camp in the summer, and you stand and you look up to the black night sky, and you realize, oh, it's dark. Like, it is dark. And then the stars all start popping, and you're like, whoa, they're bright. But see, when you're in the city, you often don't see it that much. And this is an analogy that Paul is using, but we can see today that in our world, there's so much darkness that you're called to shine. There's so much darkness that you're called to be like that popping star that people look at and go, wow, wow. And what Paul's saying here is your life makes a difference. The actual way you live your life makes a difference. And I wonder in where you go, your work, your school, in the marketplace, those opportunities to shine a light for Jesus, where we can be cutting edge. They're so like the conditions the Philippians had to. And Jesus is calling us to shine. But part of that is not grumbling and arguing. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are not really like your Christ. See, the purpose of Paul's writing is to remind us to be like Christ. To live a life that those around us take notice. That we shine. Not simply that we're just nice people. Because I have a lot of nice people in my life that don't know Jesus. I bet you two have them too. But actually to be 
different, stand out. When people look at us, they're like, I want what you have. What is it you have? It's Jesus. Be like Christ, choose humility and you will shine. And Paul rounds off this section of scripture in verse 17 and 18. He says this, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Put on joy, church. Put on joy. Rejoice and be glad in whatever circumstances you face. Hear this, feelings don't determine your faith. Feelings don't determine your faith. But in and through faith, you can choose the feelings. The phrase of being poured out like a drink offering sometimes sounds nice. It sounds like, oh, you know, I'll do some hard stuff for Jesus. But actually what Paul's saying here is, I will be martyred for my faith. He's saying like, I will be willing to sit and rot in this prison cell for Jesus. And I will rejoice. Anyone ever sat in a prison cell and rejoiced in that way before? I imagine not. It's an amazing moment. You're like, he is sitting in a prison cell, rotting away, like in pain with, with people that hate him. He, he's he's going to be on trial. There's, there's so much hatred coming his way. And he sits there and goes, I don't care. I'm glad. I'm glad because it's making a difference for the kingdom, for his kingdom, not my own. And see, being a follower of Jesus was never tasked to be easy or, or predictable or, or safe. And if you found your faith to be easy and predictable and safe, maybe you got to challenge yourself. Am I living what Jesus is calling me to be? Am I shining in, my, in, in the darkness around me? Am I grumbling? Am I arguing? Like, what does that look like in my life? Being a follower of Jesus requires you to work out salvation daily to know not feel that God has good purposes in our circumstances to not grumble or argue but to put on humility so those who are walking in dark places may see shining beacons of hope because every moment we choose rejoicing and joy uh, Dallas Willard who is an author and writer in Christian spiritual formation he said this he said we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it or even when we believe that we believe it we believe something when we act as if it were true. I'm just going to say that again. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. God may be working something in your life right now. As we work through this passage, this is not an easy passage. And as you deep dive into scripture... You're going to find that, that God's going to pull some stuff out and it's going to be like, whoa. And I, I want you just to know, and I think I've said this before here, but there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction and condemnation. Sometimes when we read scripture or when, when someone says something, we, we have two different types of feelings. Condemnation is, is, is a feeling of hopelessness. It feels like, oh, I'm just awful and there's just the worst thing ever and I have no hope and where do I turn to? That's condemnation. Conviction is very specific. And it's full of hope. It's full of hope because it's specific. It's when the Spirit says, I want you to address this. It's a specific thing. And, and this morning, there may be some specific things that God is going, I need you to address this. And the reason is he wants you to shine. Sometimes we've got to 
work through some hard stuff. We have to choose humility. We have to choose joy. Um, I'd love to read this passage again, um, but just uh, in a different uh, translation, in the message kind of paraphrase. Um, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to close your eyes. Uh, and I'm going to read this again. I just want you to ask God one question. What do you want to say to me? What parts for me? Because I believe that when we read the word of God, he lights it up for us. And so I'm going to read this again, just in the, in the message paraphrase. It's a little bit different. Um, I want to encourage you to close your eyes and ask God, what parts for me? Let me read this. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. And now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. So I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Even if I'm executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. But turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. You could open your eyes. Crosspoint, would this be a church that continues to work out its salvation with honorance and reverence for a God who is holy? Would we do so knowing that God's intentions and his purposes are good? And when we don't feel those good purposes and good intentions, would we not grumble or bicker or argue or build camps? Because we are to be stars that shine so bright that people's eternities are altered because they've met with Jesus through us, through you. And we would do this living daily from a place of joy and rejoicing. There may be some areas where, where God is identified in your life um, that you have to deal with. And that happens as, as I read my Bible and as, even as I was preparing, I was so convicted. Um, just going, hey, like, I know I'm prone to grumbling and I'm prone to arguing and I, I can't. Like the Bible is really clear here. And again, as I said, it's not about a correction or, a, or it, this is about that when you build the camps, when, when it's an inappropriate response to the suffering that you're feeling. And Jesus says, when you suffer, come to me. Don't, don't do what's happened here. There's a part that I missed that I'm just going to jump back on because I feel actually it's really important. Um, as I was going through my notes, I slid one too far. And I missed something. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think it's really important that we, when we look at this and we apply this, Actually, we start it in our Christian circles. We can be really bad at grumbling and arguing in the church. And sometimes we actually have to draw the, the circle around us and go, it's going to start with me. And then it may start with me and going, the things that I like post on Facebook, 
the things that I try and get someone to start an argument with me with, the little debates I get into because just because I want to get in there, going actually like what he says here, what Paul says in scripture is don't do that. Like don't don't do that. Don't grumble. Don't argue. Instead, be a shining beacon of hope. Be like Jesus, who is fully humble. And that's a hard call. That's a hard thing to do. But we choose to put on humility. When you do the prayer and say, God, make me humble, that's a really dangerous prayer. Because he will. But we choose to put on humility. Let me pray for us before Micah comes back. Uh, Jesus, when we open the word, we know that it's a book that lives and breathes, that speaks to us today, even though it was written thousands of years ago. Paul was writing to just some friends and probably had no intentions of this being read in Crosspoint Church. <laughs> but you did. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings alignment back in our life. God, there's maybe some areas that we have to work through and, and, to, and to work on. Um, but God, would you help us by your spirit to do that? Would we know that we don't do this alone, but we, but we do it in partnership with you? And Jesus, we look to you as the perfect example. Therefore, therefore we look to Jesus on how to live, how to be. And God, my prayer is that we, us, individuals, everyone in this room and watching online, would we be beacons of hope in dark places? Would people look to us and go, I want what you have. You have something different and I want it. And we're able to share you with them. God, would through our lives, would, would the population of hell decrease and the population of heaven increase because of what you're working through us? Our lives matter. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.